0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Welcome for our friends that are here for the first time. So, um, I, I don't know if you're like this, but I have a thing, a legit thing, about being late to a movie. Like, I get hung up. Do you, is anybody else, like, get really anxious if you're going to be late to the movie? Right? Okay. I'm not alone. Nope. Yeah. This has been an epic battle in our house between Molly and I. The way that Molly does is, like... If she, if we have three minutes of gap time, she starts a new project. She'll like start baking cookies. I'm like, we gotta get there on time, right? So I just get so anxious and freaked out. And, um, I have a wound from right after we got married. Literally the year was 1997 summer of 97 and the movie Titanic was coming out at the movie theater, the blockbuster movie, right? And I was so excited to see this. Uh, and so I was getting all geared up and we decided that we were going to go see Titanic with Molly's, um, family. Now we were the only married kids in her family so molly and i were married and mary was not yet married and her little sister emily wasn't married yet and so we went to see titanic with her family and this was like for those of you that are old enough to remember this was a major deal right and so when we got to the theater we went on opening weekend there were lines way out the door like lines forever right and the concession stand the lines were forever but we early enough like so i don't know if you're like me but i have to be i got to get there 10 minutes before This, the show time, right? Because I gotta get my popcorn. I have to go to the bathroom. I have to unscrew the smuggled bottle of seven up that I put in Molly's purse every time we come in, right? So I just gotta be right in the seat when the previews begin, all ready to rock and roll. So we got to the movie and we're, we're sitting there and we probably got there a little bit after the previews, but I was like managing. And as soon as like the movie began, the Titanic is on the screen. One of Molly's sisters looks over at her mom and dad, and she goes, I want popcorn. And so her dad dutifully jumps up to grab the popcorn, and I stood up to like let him by, and her mom looks at me and goes, hey, Kevin, why don't you go with Mike to help him? <laughs> what? Are you crazy? Like, Now, if, that, if she had said that today, I would have literally just gone... Pfft. Right, I'll take mine with extra butter, Mike, right? like That's all I would have done. But since I just barely knew them, this was two months after we got married, and we had only dated for like six months, and so I felt like I had to go. And so I missed the first 20 minutes of type. it was so bad. I, I'm telling you, I still haven't forgiven Molly. Not that she did anything wrong, but this is just how I do, right? So, so actually, we'll hear more about that piece of it later, but... You guys know the story of the Titanic, right? We all, for me, uh, watching Leonard This was like a, a documentary. It was. This is the only information that I have about Titanic was watching that movie. But the story is this, and you, you know this. I think I've got some. There it is. Look at him. He's so good looking. So, uh, this massive. Uh, luxury cruise liner, right? Powerful, state-of-the-art, massively built. It was like the most amazing thing that had been built up until that time. And it set sail on April 10th of 1912 from the UK to New York City. And this thing was filled with 2,223 people, many of whom were absolutely affluent and powerful and prominent figures, right? And so this thing, this, this Titanic was... Huge and it was spectacular and it was glorious. But you and I know the story. You and I all know that trouble was brewing, that trouble was happening, right? And that something was going to happen. And so obviously what happened is, is that as the Titanic was hurling at an unsafe speed through, uh, dangerous waters, it ended up hitting an iceberg and that iceberg tore a hole in the hull, uh, of the ship. And, and they felt the shutter, but most people didn't even know what was happening, and it was interesting to me as I was watching the movie, because below deck, below the sea level, below the, the level of water where nobody could see, it was absolute disaster. Water was pouring into the ship, and this would end up sinking that ship. But above deck, in those upper echelons, people acted as if nothing had happened. The wine was still being poured. The music was still playing. People were laughing and, and having fun with each other and chatting and playing cards and acting as if nothing was going on below the surface, right? And that picture of disaster below and a shiny, happy exterior above, that in many ways, I believe, church, can be an image of our lives. We were created like the Titanic with this great, incredible power, with this great potential. We have these incredible minds and spirits and bodies. The Bible says we're literally, I mean, does it ever blow your mind that we're made in the image of God? I mean, how amazing is that? And so in some ways, we're kind of like that incredible and glorious ship. But the problem is, is that there's so much happening Below the the the, the uh, you know below the water, there's so much happening beneath the surface. And when you and I ignore what is happening beneath the surface of our lives, in the places where no one can see. When we do that, we put ourselves at peril. And very often, it's the stuff that no one sees that will eventually bring you and I down, you guys. And in some ways, too, we are like the captain of that ship. We're in the, in the, in the same sense that the choices that we make today can either lead us to the place that, that we long to go, the places that we feel God is calling us to, this glorious, hopeful future that God has for us, we can do that, or the choices that we make today can lead us down really, really dangerous and dark paths. And the picture of this, uh, you know, Carly was talking about this new series that we're going to be doing in small groups, and we're going to be doing it here from the pulpit as well. And we're talking about being emotionally and spiritually healthy. And, and if I were to, to mix the metaphor here, if you picture that iceberg, To a large degree, we are like that iceberg, right? In that the person that you see when you look at me and the person that I see when I look at you, you know that that's only the tip of the iceberg, right? That there is so much more to us than what you and I can see. And so what we're going to do over the next eight weeks is we are going to go beneath the surface of the waters. We're going to get behind the curtain and we're going to start to, to look at and deal with and talk about and let God shine his light on what is happening below the surface. And of course, this uh, this sermon series is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's the title of uh, a pastor and teacher, uh, his book, it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. His name is Pete Scazzaro. I'm going to be drawing heavily from his book and from a couple of vineyard pastors that have preached through this stuff. Uh, But the series is about attending to our hearts, attending to what lies beneath, below the surface, okay? And so this has to do with, you know, we have our flames and our grow flame, that's our third flame. We talk about personal wholeness. And when we talk about personal wholeness, what we're talking about is being emotionally uh, and spiritually mature and healthy and growing in those things. And the key issue is this. We cannot be emotionally immature and be spiritually mature. We can't be emotionally immature and spiritually mature. Emotional health is a critical part of our spiritual health and maturity. And it's a critical part of our discipleship of becoming like Jesus. And if I were to be honest with you. I want you guys to know that I believe that God grieves. I believe that he is grieved at the gap. He's grieved at the gap between who we were created to be and the people that we actually are. Not the people that we can see, but the people that we actually are. And I believe that he's grieved by the promises that he makes to us, the, the, the future that he has for us, and our actual experience of those things. I believe it hurts his heart. The Bible says that you and I are image bearers of Christ. Think about these promises of God. Think about who we are. We are the image bearers of Christ himself. We could look like Jesus himself. The Bible says that we have the spirit of God dwelling in our hearts. The spirit lives inside every one of us. And the fruit of that spirit, the fruit, the outcome of the Holy spirit dwelling in you and me is astounding. It is amazing. And so in Galatians chapter five, Paul says the fruit of the spirit is love. That's what will be increasing in our hearts. Love. The fruit of the spirit is joy. It's peace. It's patience. The fruit of the spirit is kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the hallmarks of a person who is in Christ. And so for any of us that have given our lives to him, for any of us who follow him, these ought to be the pillars, the hallmarks of our personality, of our experience of this life. Or another way to think of it that I talk about all the time is that Jesus said, I came that you would have life and you would have it abundantly, that you would have it in abundance. But as I live my own life, as I watch people live their lives, I wonder, is their daily experience of life, is it really a life of abundance? Is that what you experience on a day-in and day-out basis? Because what I see so often is rather than having too much of the fruit of the Spirit, I see often that we Christians have too little we have too little instead of having too much love in our lives i see us struggling to have enough love instead of having too much peace in our lives i see many of us struggling to have any peace at all it's a fight for it instead of having too much joy we have too little and have, instead of having too much uh, you know uh, uh self control We have too little of it. And if it doesn't grieve us, it certainly grieves God. And all of this, in spite of the fact that we've done all of the churchy things, we've done all of the right things, right? We're people that show up on Sundays. We go to our small groups. We we pray. We read our Bibles. We do all those things that we've been doing for years and years and years. And yet somehow things still aren't right below the surface And so what we often try to do is we try to make things look right, don't we? Instead of, instead of like just, you know, kind of letting it all out, we come here and we look great. You guys are a great looking bunch of people, every one of you. And I mean that in every regard. When I talk to you, you're friendly, you're kind, you're encouraging, you're easy to be around, right? And hopefully I seem that way to you as well. But here's a question. Would you want to be a fly on the wall at my house this afternoon? Would you want to know everything that I'm saying? Would you want to be a fly on the wall of my heart? Would you want to know every thought that I'm thinking? Would you want to feel everything that I feel? Would you want to have access to that? How would you feel if I had all of that about you? That's a scary notion. You might have to switch churches, like, right away, right? I shudder to think about it, right? And so how we present out here isn't necessarily how it is in here. And Jesus confronted this with the religious people of his day, right, often. And here's what Jesus had to say with the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Uh, and he. And this is in the book of Matthew, chapter 23. He says this. Now, listen. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside will also be clean. This is, this is big for us, church. Deal with what is inside first and the outside will look good too. And Jesus, of course, he wasn't talking to pagans. He was talking to the best church going folk there was. The people that had the books memorized and they knew everything. But they, they they learned how to act outwardly as if they were d- deeply connected to God but inwardly they were so far from God they were nothing like Jesus at all nothing like him and Jesus looked at him and he said you guys are a mess you are a mess you your insides and your outsides they don't match and he longed to change that and earlier in uh, Matthew chapter 15 he said this the things that come out of the uh, uh, out of the mouth come from the heart And these are what make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And I just want to say to us that probably the truest test of our progress in Christ is what is happening beneath the surface. It's the stuff that no one can see. That's why Solomon, who knew it all, said, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. Before you get yourself showered up before church, before you put your makeup on, before you get your best jeans out or whatever it is that you wear, deal with your heart for All of the issues of life, everything that you do flows from it. Of course, that Hebrew word heart, it has to do with everything that is inside us. It's our thinking. It's our feeling. It's our will. It's our affection. So this is, this is large stuff, right? And of course, in in, uh, in our culture, it feels like, especially here in the church, it feels like we care more to talk about issues of our will, our doing, our decision-making, than we do to talk about our feelings. For some reason, we've sort of subjugated feelings or put them off to the side as if they're not to be trusted or something like that. But you guys know, if you know God at all, do you know that he experiences every day the full gamut of emotions? Right, He experiences everything. He experiences anger and loss and jealousy and sadness. And he experiences joy and elation and love and affection. God is a feeling God. And he created us in his image. And so as we put a tamp down and push down and ignore our emotions, we are actually denying a vital part of who we are. And so if we really want to be like Jesus, if we really want to experience an abundant life, we will have to do business deeply with our hearts. We're going to have to deal with our emotions, with our unspoken beliefs about who we are, our unspoken beliefs about who God is, our unspoken beliefs about one another. And so emotional health is really an issue of discipleship. As a matter of fact, it might even be a foundation of our discipleship. It's learning how to be like Jesus through and through. I, am I, am I making any sense to you here? You guys okay? Okay, good. You're with me? All right. How's your heart? Okay. We'll find out, we'll find out more about that later. Okay. Um. And so I think that one of the most life changing things that we could ever do is to begin to allow God to put a spotlight a spotlight on our hearts. But I believe the reason why I get so excited about our third flame, the grow flame, is because I think it's the most ignored, most slept on facet of discipleship in all of the church. I think that just now the church is finally starting to understand the importance of knowing what's going on inside of us. And i got to be honest with you, I wish that Molly and I had figured this stuff out decades ago. I wish so much that we knew 25 years ago when we got married what we knew now. It would have been a different. Marriage, I promise you guys. And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to be digging in, pursuing emotional maturity, spiritual health. We're going to allow God to reveal our own hearts so that our hearts can become more like Jesus, so that God can bring healing. And so we're going to talk about uh, healthy spirituality. But before we talk about healthy spirituality, we need to talk about unhealthy spirituality. Okay? And so um, we're going to do something that I think is going to be really, really helpful to you guys. Um, and I, I, I'm excited about it. Actually, so we're going to talk about um, the ten symptoms of unhealthy spirituality and what I want you guys to do is this this is this would be a really really good time to grab um that notepad that's in front of you or make a note in your phone. Um, you can even one thing that I often do is I'll take a picture of the screen if there's like a good lyric up there or something like that. But I want you guys to really kind of like um dig into this so that you can bring it home with you. Because homework is going to be really really important. We're gonna just kind of glean uh the you know from the surface here, but at home is where you're going to actually really be digging into this stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, and what I want you to try to do is I want you to locate yourself in these symptoms, and what I've noticed about myself, if you're anything like me, is that there's a couple of these where it's like there is a lot of brokenness in here with a couple of these. There's a lot of disease. And then there's a few where I'm like, ah, it's, I actually don't have much of an issue with that. I feel pretty good about that. So just keep your eyes and your heart and your ear. open. as a matter of fact, I want to pray for us real quick. Holy Spirit, just even as we talk about this, I just ask right now that you would minister to us and that you would reveal our hearts to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. By the way next week um we're going to be talking about knowing ourselves so that we may know God and it is amazing that when we so we spend more time than you would imagine denying what is going on inside of us and it actually cuts us off from being able to experience God and his grace and his truth and so next week we're going to be digging into that I'm excited about that so come back for that. Okay so what is the first symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality where oh. There it is right there. Okay, good. Using God to run from God. Using God to run from God. So what does that mean? Well, in the same way, you guys, that we would use drugs or alcohol or other activities like eating or shopping or pornography to avoid painful parts of who we are, painful parts of our reality about our lives, the scary parts of our heart, we can often, here in the church, we can actually use God to run from God in the sense that We can make ourselves busy, right? We could just get busy with serving it in our, uh, you know, serving at the front door, doing hospitality, leading a small group, coming to church. You can busy yourself with a million church activities and you could do that in such a way that you would never have to sit quietly in a room with the Lord and allow God to begin to poke at those really, really scary parts of your heart where, where you would not, you know, where it's like we can kind of get so busy that we don't let God uh, touch those parts of our heart that are painful that are hurting, that are deep, deep wounds, and so we just busy ourselves with this really good Christian activity, and to be honest with you, you'll get nothing but encouragement from the leaders of a church, right? We'll just keep you busy forever and ever and ever, and it's your responsibility. We have to get quiet before the Lord so that the Lord can touch those deep places of our hearts, and sometimes we do over-Christian activity, and it comes at the cost of our own heart because God wants to touch us, but that's is scary and so we, make, we don't make any time for that. So, we use God to run from, run from God. Number two, we can ignore the feelings that aren't so presentable. We can end up ignoring anger, sadness, fear, uh, hopelessness, depression, right? We can uh, just turn our backs on those things because we're people that are called to joy. We're called to love. We're called to courage. We're called to peace and all that stuff. And so if those are, that's the type of stuff that we're supposed to manifest, then it becomes hard to manifest anything else. It becomes hard to be depressed. It becomes hard to feel hopeless. It It becomes hard to feel anger, especially in a context like this, right? And the more that we deny that stuff, the more that we cover them up, we just do ourselves harm because two things will happen. When we cover up those true feelings that we are experiencing, the first thing that will happen, and maybe you've noticed it, is that if you're... Repressing and you're tamping down and shoving down anger, for example, you know what happens? It just pops out another time. It pops out when you don't want it to. It will come out. And so we can try to deny those hard feelings, but they'll pop out in an inopportune time anyway, right? And the other thing that happens is when we kind of walk around not giving space to it, not offering our true heart to God, we cut ourselves off. We cut ourselves off from the healing power of God's presence. We stop God, we stiff arm him, and we don't allow him to enter into who we really are and where we really are, and that, thereby we make him unable to bring healing to our lives. Does that make sense? third one is going to be a quick one, we die to the wrong things, and that is that sometimes in faith, we end up uh, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and so because we're supposed to be sacrificial because we're supposed to give a lot, because we're supposed to lay our lives down, we can end up dying to things that actually are supposed to bring us life, like rest, for example, right? Friendships, music, beauty, laughter uh, fun, recreation we can sort of deem all of those natural pleasures as worldly pleasures, and so we end up like giving those things up for the hard work of Christianity. But sometimes when we do that, if we if we don't have a regular diet of that good, get God-given stuff coming into us, we end up being constantly depleted. We end up being constantly a little, like, tired or depressed. And so God wants us to, to have those healthy pleasures. So the third, third one is dying to the wrong things. The fourth symptom of unhealthy spirituality is, and this is a big one, Denying the impact of the past on the present. Denying the impact of the past on the present. This, this has to do with family of origin issues. It has to do with the history. Like, I always liken, um, I liken our, like, me and you. I think that we're kind of all, like, old cars that have been driving through life. And you know what happens to a car after, like, 20 years or 30 years? It gets dinged up. Right, It just gets banged up over history, and it begins to wear out. And our past deeply, deeply impacts our present, impacts who we are. And I like how uh, Pete Scazzaro, the author of the book, he said this. He said that Jesus is in our hearts, but Grandpa is in our bones. Jesus is in our hearts, but Grandpa's in our bones. And of course, what he means is, is that we are deeply, deeply formed by our families of origin. And that's another thing that I wish Molly and I had understood. We are just now today beginning to understand how deeply our background has shaped the way that we see, the way that we do, the way that we interpret. I mean, for any of us that have ever gotten married, you know that when you come into marriage, you just think that your way is the way. And it turns out there's other ways out there, right? And so our family of origin and our history Shows up every single day of our lives. Number five. The fifth symptom of a a spiritually unhealthy spirituality is this. Dividing life into the sacred and the secular. Right? Siloing our lives. Separating God from the rest of our lives. And so, um, for whatever reason... It does seem like it's really, really easy to uh, treat Saturday night differently than we do Sunday morning, right? The, the 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 Sunday morning person and the Monday morning person might be really, really different. And if we were to ask you about your spiritual life, it might be that you would say, "Well, uh, you know, I I read the Bible, I worship, I go to church, I, uh, I I'm in a small group, you know, I do all of these spiritual activities." And then, you know, if I were to say, "Well, no, no, no I'm talking about like what's your spiritual life, like like it, when in your Recreation? What's your spiritual life at home with your kids? What's your spiritual life like uh, with your finances? You know, And so one of the things that happens is that we separate the secular, the, the secular and the sacred. And what I want to tell us, church, is that everything about us is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Our choices, our financial choices are spiritual. Our entertainment choices are spiritual. Our sexuality is spiritual. Our emotional life is spiritual. All of us is spiritual. And yet sometimes we can separate that stuff out. But God wants to be Lord and he wants to be present in every part of us. We are we are not to live divided lives because all of our life is sacred. You with me? Number six, the sixth symptom of uh, unhealthy spirituality is doing for God instead of being with God. Doing for God instead of being with God. And this is one of the most common challenges shared by people and pastors, right? We base our spirituality on how much we are doing for God. And I love what, uh, what Oswald Chambers said about this. He said this. He said, The greatest competitor to devotion to Jesus is service to him. It is never do, do with the Lord, but be, be, and he will do through you. The only way to keep true to God is by a steady, persistent refusal to be interested in Christian work and to be interested alone in Christ Jesus. Don't everybody quit your ministries? Okay. (laughs) But there is a reality, isn't it, church, that our doing so often is bigger than our being. Right, What we do sort of defines us. It's the first question that we ask. And yet God calls us to be with him first. To be like Mary who sat at Jesus' feet more than Martha. Who ran around like a chicken with her head cut off to abide in him. I can tell you that abiding doesn't come naturally to me. Doing comes more naturally to me. I don't know about you. Number seven. Uh, the seventh symptom of unhealthy spirituality is that we spiritualize away conflict. We spiritualize away conflict, uh, and so we avoid helpful truth in order just to keep peace. And if you're anything like me, I mean, Molly Molly used to think that I loved conflict because I was always picking a fight with her, but I actually don't love conflict. I don't think many of us do, right? But... Um, Often what we end up doing to solve it is we run away from it. We run away from it or we deny it, uh, and that can be unhealthy. As a matter of fact, spirituality can be a really convenient way of avoiding healthy conflict, right? We can just say that we're just being forgiving, right? Like there's something, sometimes conflict is important, but we could say, I'm uncomfortable with that, and so I'm just going to forgive them. I'm uncomfortable with that, so I'm just going to be the better person, and I'm just going to love them. Sometimes we use our spirituality as a convenient way of not dealing with things that really need to be dealt with in a godly way. And in some ways, we are nothing like Jesus. If this room was, well, I don't know. But here's the thing. When you read the Gospels, Have you ever noticed how often Jesus was in conflict with somebody? It was all the time. It was all the time. And the reason was, is because Jesus would not cover over anything for a false peace. He was working for real peace. He was working for true peace, for true health in the world and health in his relationships. And so when we try to protect a false peace, it only ends up creating a bigger problem in us and a bigger problem in our relationships. And so even though we're afraid of conflict, we need to learn how to do it and how to do it well, how to do it in a godly way. Number eight, we're getting there, guys. Number eight, the eighth symptom of unhealthy spirituality is hiding brokenness and weakness and failure. And I have to tell you, this might be my number one toughest spot. This is about not being free to be honest with ourselves and others about our weaknesses, about our failures, about our mistakes. And um, a lot of this, for me, has to do with shame. And one of the discoveries that I made about myself over the last few years as, as I've been working on my heart is that, and I don't know if this is true of you, but it might be something to ponder, and that if is that if, I've kind of figured out that if I screw up somewhere deep inside of me, I believe that I am a screw up. That if I, uh, if I make a mistake, it means to me that I am a mistake. If I fail at something, it feels to me like I am a failure. And so what I have done uh, with great success, uh, at least publicly, is I have worked hard to cover all of that over so that nobody thinks I'm a failure. Because if you see me fail... It makes me feel like I am a failure. And that came from my history as a knucklehead student and all that stuff. And so you guys might not see that. But at home, it manifests itself in a place where I just I just deny that I did anything wrong. Because if I, if I, if I, if I end up being wrong, that is too scary for me, right? And so you can see how insidious this is. And so if you're a person that struggles, uh, when you mess up, if you're, if you, if it's scary for you to let other people see your, your weakness, there's something going on in there. There's certainly something going on inside of me okay number nine two left the second or the, the second to the last uh, symptom of unhealthy spirituality is living without limits living without limits right uh, it's not accepting the God given limits that God has set for our lives um, I think this is like two years ago I was at Mariano's and I was checking out my stuff and well, I wasn't doing it but the clerk was and the woman that was checking me out was from Australia and since we had like two minutes and I had an Australian in front of me. I said, okay, so just tell me, uh, what is the main difference between Aussie culture and American culture? And just like that, here's what she said. She said, Americans live to work and Aussies work to live. Americans live to work and Aussies work to live. And I feel, I feel like too often we are not comfortable with our human limitations, right? Uh, we, we give away more of ourselves than we can afford to give. We have difficulty keeping boundaries with people. We can confuse being sacrificial and being a servant with being superhuman. But the only superhuman one is God himself, and we are not. Only God has unlimited capacity. The rest of us are very, very limited in our capacity. But for some of us, it is difficult, really difficult, even scary to say no to an ask. It's hard to say no to an ask, right? But I want to tell us that if you're a person that is overextended and overdone for the better part of your life, there is incredible liberation. In being able to know that you are finite, that you are limited, you can only go so far, and being free to say, I cannot do that. I don't have the capacity for that. So not having limits. Living without limits is our ninth symptom of uh, unhealthy spirituality. And lastly, number 10, it is judging other people, judging other people's spirituality. And I I just want to ask you, have you ever had a hard time celebrating someone else's accomplishment? Have you ever had a hard time with that? Have you ever, have you ever had a hard time because someone in the group did all the talking? Right? Have you ever like gotten a little bit triggered because they did all the talking? And they didn't ask you about you. You didn't get to do as much talking. As they, has, does that ever happen to you? Right? Well, one handy way to solve that sort of those feelings of frustration or jealousy, uh, it's really good. All you have to do is tear them down. Just tear them down in your heart. Seriously, it works like a charm. If you could pull them down, make them look bad, marginalize them, you feel a lot better about yourself for the moment, right? And that's so often what we do. In our minds, or on the way home with our spouse, or in the bathroom, or wherever it is, we find a way to pull those people down because we crave validation. And if we haven't gotten our hearts filled and our validation from Jesus then we'll try to get it from other people. if we don't get it from other people, then our best option is to reduce them to the place where we are. Right? That is unhealthy spirituality. And, of course, Jesus talked about taking the log out of our eye instead of trying to find specks in other people. So those are the ten. I'm going to read them through rapid fire for you. Actually, I might have a slide for this. You can take a picture. Ten symptoms of unhealthy spirituality. Using God to run from God. Ignoring anger, sadness, and fear. Dying to the wrong things. Dividing life into the sacred and secular compartments. Denying the impact of the past on the present. Doing for God instead of being with God. Spiritualizing away conflict. Hiding our brokenness, our weakness, our failure. Living without limits. Judging other people and their spiritual journey. Do you see any of this in you? Do you? Just give one person, give me like your number one. What's, what's one? No, I know. Which one? Number 10? Okay, judging. Yep. What else? That's good, by the way. Just shout it out. I love that. Number nine. All right. Living without limits. Good. Five. Okay, what is five? Five. <laughs> Denying the impact? Okay, good. Good. Awesome. I'm proud of you guys. This, it's just liberating to say it out loud, right? Now, um, that, what we are experiencing, I believe, is, is in some ways it's just the tip of the iceberg. And so we're going to start digging into this. But here's the good news, you guys. Freedom and wholeness and healing is in our future. God can heal this stuff in all of us. It is coming, right? It doesn't happen through osmosis. It doesn't happen through the old practices, because if it if it worked before, you know, if it had worked, then we wouldn't be dealing with what we're dealing with. But if we lean into this, if we pursue the healing of our hearts, if we open up our hearts to what God wants to do, I promise you that he will heal us. And I, he kind of like just before the service, um, I was praying and I just was thinking about a lot of you guys know that I have a really, really wonky hip and I've lived with it for a ton of years and had all kinds of junk done with it. And so I often walk with a limp. And most of us have a little bit of a limp in our hearts, right? But the truth is, is that we don't have to. You can get healed of that. I promise you, Jesus can heal us of that. You will experience freedom. You will experience wholeness and connection and all these amazing things. And so here's what I want you to do. A couple of things. And you can play it if you want to or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, first of all, I want to encourage you, if you would, to make a commitment to engaging over the next eight weeks I'd like you to be here if at all possible Over the next eight weeks And for those of you that are at home God is in the room Engage with this over the next eight weeks Because he's going to work He's going to move right So let's let's connect with this deeply Secondly we're going to launch A number of, of Thrive groups Several of which are going to be Going further with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality And there are going to be In that group you are going to have The opportunity to be guided into a healing process for your heart and each of those small group leaders have been trained to help you along in your journey so join one of those if you haven't already thirdly I want to encourage you just like we did today take notes every week and then bring your notes home and let it be a journal start to journal and let it be part of a meditation for you the bulk of this work will be done at home not here It won't even happen in your small group, really. Okay, so do this stuff at home. And finally, um, I believe that we're going to have to slow down. We're going to have to slow down. We live at a really, really frenetic pace. And if we want to get healing, it takes time. It takes time to be with Jesus. And so you're going to have to slow down. I'm going to close with um, what they said as they concluded the inquiry about the tragedy of the Titanic. It says this. The conclusion of the British inquiry into the sinking was that the loss of said ship was due to collision with an iceberg brought about by the excessive speed at which the ship was being navigated. And I believe that if God is going to bring healing into our lives, he's going to call us to slow down and to reflect deeply to reflect deeply on our hearts, to reflect deeply on his heart and what he wants to do. And I can see a future you. I can see you in 8 weeks, in 12 weeks, I can see you in a year. And you're you're joyful, more joyful than you are today. You're happier than you are today. You're more connected to God, more connected to important people in your life. You're living more freely. This is for you. God has this for us. He's already been working it in Molly's life and mine, and he can do it in you too. Amen?